All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is that homecoming season, and fall is here, um, and there are a lot of schools around here celebrating homecoming. Um, a messenger told me that I want to also mention one other former homecoming queen a few years before Jennifer, Carolyn Carlson. So, yeah. And uh, here's the deal. I'll probably miss a few others who are out there, so let's do this, guys. Let's make today a queen day for all of our wives, all of our daughters, and make that more than just picking up our own popcorn bowl after we watch football all day. Let's do a little more for um, those women uh, in our lives than just that. But it, it is a, a great morning to be here. The weather outside is beautiful, and there is something about fall that just sort of reinvigorates. Um, it's, har- it's harvest season, and uh, the leaves are turning. The air is getting, a, not today, but the air is going to be getting a little cooler, and it's just a great time of year. And so we're going to dive right into the series that we've been doing here for the last month um, called Life Together, and it's all about living in authentic biblical community. And three weeks ago, we established why we need community, and two weeks ago, we talked about using community to serve together, and last week, we talked about using community to grow together, and I felt like I wanted to add one more addendum message to the one that I did last week, so this is going to be a little bit also along the lines of continuing to grow, but in this sense, I want to talk about how we help each other grow, and there are practical ways, I believe, that we can do that. And it all begins with relationships. And that's what our message is going to be this morning. How we can help each other grow. And sort of the theme around this is going to be the Timothys and the Pauls that are in our lives. So if you have your um, handout and if you have the sheet that you can take notes on, we'll kind of walk through this. Now I've also got a lot of other verses that I'm going to give you to write down for study this week. Because as I put this together, there's just so much rich information about uh, about this topic and things that I want to send you out with with challenges in the week ahead. So we're going to take a look at growing together. Excuse me, and if I could capture one scene that sort of brought this all together for me, it was this past Wednesday, and it was Raleigh's funeral. And we had an opportunity that day to get through what was a very hard day in some ways. It was very hard to do. But in another way, it was so powerful (laughs) and, and so uplifting to see the support that poured out. And the one moment that I'm never going to forget, Dan and I drove down after the funeral because I did the, the internment in Lincoln. And ahead of Dan and me were probably 75 to 80 motorcycles, two by two, ahead of us on the interstate. And I've never seen something like that before. And I knew the destination that we were, we were all going to together And there was just this overwhelming feeling inside of me, and I shared this with Dan. You see something like that, and you see the power of community. You see that something like that is way bigger than any of us individually. And it gets a little bit overwhelming when you see it. So we got just across the Mormon Bridge into Nebraska. Everyone stopped to fill up gas and and just make a quick little stop. And I was walking around admiring some of these bikes. And there were some beautiful motorcycles. One in particular I was kind of standing next to, and I think he genuinely meant it. He came up to me and he said, hey, Jeff, we get down to Lincoln, you want to drive this? (laughs) I paused for a moment. I looked at him and I just said, how much insurance do you have on it? (laughs) Uh, I respectfully declined. It was very nice of him to offer. But there is a kind of a bike that I do know something about, and I want to show this to you up here. 
because this is, a me- this is sort of the picture that I want to use to capture this message and get us thinking today. Now, I can handle myself most of the time on one of these bikes. And I've done a lot of biking um, over the last 10 years, ridden Ragbri a couple of times. And those of you who are in the cycling world, you know what that, that thing is. That is called a pace line. And there is a design and a reason why this pace line runs the way that it does. Give you a quick explanation here. The person up front there is the leader of that pace line. Typically, the leader of a pace line is the strongest rider in the bunch. And we literally use the term that person is going to pull everybody else. So they sort of set the speed and the pace by leading that line. Most of the time, you put in uh, maybe some of your riders who aren't as strong in the group, kind of in the middle. You tuck them in a little bit. And then you have this back person who you know, sort of steers the, the back end to make sure everyone's doing okay. And you're literally riding sometimes 20, 25 miles an hour, three to four inches behind someone else's wheel. So there's a lot of trust that's involved. Um, there is a lot of practice to this. And it's, it's, it's really collegial as you do it together. But there's a very important purpose for this as well. A lot of times when you're out riding with a group of friends, you're going to run into headwinds. And sometimes these headwinds can be 15, 20, 25 miles per hour or more, and you're riding into that. And the amazing thing about a pace line is that strongest rider, that front person, is leading the charge, and behind you, him or or her are all these other riders. And for the riders who are following, they don't feel the headwind. And they're just coasting along. The leader takes the headwind. And then when that leader takes the head, when they go until they get tired or they get weary, and then they fall to the back of the line, and the next strongest rider slips up to the front. Meanwhile, you're keeping all the less experienced or the, or the not the strongest riders in the middle, and everyone stays together, and everyone keeps the, sta- the same pace. And this forced momentum, or the momentum of this ride, actually accelerates the speed of the entire group. And so everybody conquers that headwind more strongly together. Does that make sense? It's a beautiful thing. And sometimes when you're not facing headwinds and that front rider can get up to 30 miles an hour, it's an absolute rush to fly down a road with a bunch of friends riding in that pace line. There's power in that togetherness. But here's something else that I learned. Because I've ridden in some pace lines where I couldn't keep up. And what you eventually do if you're not keeping up is you sort of fall away. And you fall off to yourself. And guess how much fun riding into a headwind by yourself is? All of a sudden, you're really, really struggling. And you know, I think our Christian walk resembles this kind of pace line in many ways. If we are new to the faith, there are going to be people who are going to be out in front of us, people who are further down the path, people who we are going to want to get behind, people who are wise people who have experienced some of the things that we've experienced, and if we're wise, we're going to get behind them and we're going to follow. And once we begin to grow in our faith, once we begin to establish that same kind of depth and strength, there are going to be people that I believe God's going to put in our lives who then we are going to be responsible for helping to lead. And that's how this thing works. And then there is this truth, and this is the truth that you learn when you fall outside of a pace line on a really windy day. When we are at our most vulnerable, if we fall away from that community of friends, that group of people who encourage us and hold us accountable, they help us get up when we're knocked down or we're struggling, when we fall away from a group that's important to us like that, we will have to take on the headwinds of life by ourselves. 
And that can be extremely difficult because we become isolated. And that makes us even at more risk of stumbling. And so I want to share this verse with you. And it's not in your notes, but I want you to write this verse down. And I want you to dwell on this this week. It's in John 10.10. And I want you to see this verse because it's a warning and an assurance that Jesus gives us in the same verse. John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says there's a thief that comes, and he comes to steal and kill and destroy. Those are powerful images. But then Jesus says on the very same verse, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You pick up clearly on this verse? There is evil in this world. And the Bible teaches us that there is an evil one responsible for it. And that evil one has one mission. That evil one has this mission to destroy you and to destroy me, to destroy us and to separate us from God. That's his mission. But if you look at the second half of this verse, it gives you this amazing assurance. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. So in my mind, this is where the rubber meets the road, you might say. When we talk seriously about living in biblical community, Bill Hybels is a well-known leader of the Willow Creek Church in Chicago, and he recalls a favorite saying of his that his dad would tell him often when he was a child. He would go out to play, or in his teenage years, he would go out with friends, and his dad would always say to him, be careful with your friends and with your choices, Billy, because stupid rubs off. And I think from the response to that, we all know what that means. It means that you and I are the sum total of the people that we choose to be around the most. And when we are building our community with people who demonstrate wisdom with their choices, when we build our community with people who have a deep love and reverence for God and other people, and when we build a community with these kinds of people who also love us enough to challenge us, and to speak truth to us, these are relationships that are more valuable than gold. They are. When you're surrounded by these kinds of people, it's more valuable to us, I think, than anything else worldly in this world. But at the same time, and I think you can all put yourself in these places as well, when we surround ourselves with toxic circumstances, when we surround ourselves with people who make foolish choices, or live lives that either disobey or mock God, or who hate or spread dissension among us or among others, people who will actually deceive or hurt you, these types of relationships can bring misery that can take the life right out of us. And I'm sure you can think of different environments that you may have been in over the course of your life where things were just toxic, and those were the kinds of forces that were at work. So the goal today for me is simple. It's to challenge us as we continue through this series on life together to encourage us and challenge us to build as many wise, build as many loving, and build as many authentic relationships in our lives as we can and to help us discern these from the toxic ones that can destroy us, for the toxic ones that can take the life out of us. And most importantly, we need to be able to discern the toxic relationships 
from the ones that give us life. Because that presents to us a choice. If we find ourselves in a toxic environment or in a toxic relationship, we have a choice. We can choose to use love and wisdom to redirect them to our standard. And if that still fails, we have the choice to make the decision to remove ourselves from those toxic environments, staying rooted in healthy relationships and all the while continuing to pray and reach out to those who still might be toxic to us. Does that make sense? (laughs) So we're not just completely turning our back on something or someone, but we're making a choice to set ourselves to a standard that we are going to help bring people to rather than us sinking down somewhere below. That's our goal. That's what community does. This is biblical community. And I want to go back to some of the most foundational verses of our faith. And it's in Acts 2, 42 to 44. And if you remember, this follows one of the most foundational verses to our faith in Acts 2, 38. When Peter says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, you will be forgiven and you will receive what? You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as that movement begins, let's take one more look at how the people in the early church began to organize themselves. Acts 2.42, it's not in your notes. Again, write this one down, reflect on it this week. Here's what the early followers did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, All the believers were together and had everything in common. (laughs) You like that? In common. What things hold us in common? Now, I want to note here, communion with God, I think, means a literal partaking of communion. All right? And I also think it has a meaning of gathering together. So there is communion with God. There is symbolic communion with him through the communion But there's also communion with each other in reverence of God. This is how the church is organized. And these are the priorities in it. So when we go to this foundational verse that we've talked about in Romans 12.5, where many of us make one body, this is where we're heading. This is where we're going. Seek wise friends who love Christ. Seek wise friends who love others. And seek wise friends who will love you. We evaluate our closest relationships and we take a greater step toward lasting community when we develop strong relationships with people who, and I'm going to share this with you since Peter promised us, that with our baptism comes the Holy Spirit. Here's what the Holy Spirit brings in Galatians 5.22. The Holy Spirit brings us the fruits of the Spirit, doesn't he? Holy Spirit brings us this. And here's what these fruits are. They're love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is another way of saying wisdom, I think, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we're setting the bar for the type of church we want to be, when we're setting the bar for the kind of community that we want to build and the kind of community that we want to project out to the world who doesn't know Jesus, don't you think that would be a good foundation? Don't you think those qualities, those fruits of the Spirit would be the bar that we want to set for ourselves? We want to set them for our families. We want to set them for our friendships, our relationships, our life groups, and corporately as a whole church. So to get us there, I want to challenge us to take a look at a very important relationship in the Bible. And that is the relationship between Paul and Timothy. 
And this is where your notes will fill in a couple of key verses. But as we begin to grow in community and we begin to continue to grow in our faith, I think that we're called to do three important things in our relationships. Number one, we need someone to lead. We need someone to lead. John 13, 15 says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So we have to have an example. We have to be an example, I should say. And number two, I'm going to go right into the second one here because they're going to tie together as I examine the life of Paul and Timothy together. We need someone to lead us, or excuse me, someone to follow us. You know what? I made a mistake here (laughs) because those are essentially the same thing. We need someone to lead and someone to follow us. So it should be we need someone to follow or someone that we lead. Does that make sense? I'm really sorry. And Josh, that's my fault when I sent you that that note. But the point is this. We need to have somebody like Timothy had in Paul, someone that we're following. And like Paul in his relationship to Timothy, we need to have someone that we're leading. Okay, have I I confused anybody? Okay, good. All right, so let's dive into this then. See, Paul selects Timothy. He's got a very important mission. His mission is to spread the gospel. And he needs more than himself to do it. And so one of the key people he chooses is Timothy. And he equips Timothy for ministry. And Paul mentors him through the whole idea of empowerment. And by definition, empowerment simply means giving a sense of perceived control or competence. In other words, he lets Timothy grow, but he gives him boundaries to guide him. Now, you can think this in terms of your mentoring relationships with people in church with new believers, if if you're leading someone, you can think about this in terms of looking for these qualities in someone who you want to follow who can help you grow. But it is someone who's going to help encourage and push you to grow, but always being there to support you as you do. And Paul emphasized that these components of empowerment, he did so by revealing that Timothy was called by God to be a minister. He affirmed Timothy. He affirms him, and he affirms him by serving as an example of what it means to be one of God's workers. And he reminds Timothy of his ministerial goals. And according to Paul's dialogue with Timothy, Timothy was called by God to serve as a minister of the gospel on earth. We see in 1 Thessalonians 3.2 that Paul describes Timothy as our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ. So right away Paul affirms him. And he continues to affirm, he continues to encourage and build up. And Paul is also careful to mention Timothy's credentials as a servant of God in his various letters to some of the churches of the time. When he writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians 2, 19 through 23, it's in these passages that Paul describes Timothy as a -a one-of-a-kind minister with a focus purely on Jesus Christ. Notice that he never lets him forget the mission He never helps him or lets him take his eye off the most important task that's ahead of him. That's what a good mentor does. You're constantly leading and pushing that person toward the common goal that you share. And Paul states, again, showing his ways of encouraging Timothy, Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So he continues to affirm. He continues to push. He keeps his eye on the target, eye on the goal. He sets that for him, and he continues to support him as he gets there. And it's through this process of demonstrating to Timothy that he was called to serve in ministry that Paul was able to increase 
Timothy's level of empowerment. One thing that you can do to judge and guide how you're growing together is how you're seeing each other grow with that encouragement. How you're seeing each other grow with, that, with, with wisdom and affirmation. And Paul is doing this with Timothy all along the way. In Acts 18, 1 through 5, we see a reunion among Paul and Timothy and Silas after Paul has finished a, a travel to Corinth. And as these men were, were reunited, Acts 18.5 states that Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And by witnessing Paul's devotion to the preaching of the word and his approach to sharing the gospel, we can believe that Timothy would develop a greater understanding of the nature of ministry. So one other key thing that Paul does is he shows and models by example. So that is the relationship that we think about when we think of a Paul and a Timothy. We think about these characteristics. In our closest relationships, do you see and feel this? Is there affirmation, both from people who you may be leading and people who you are looking to to help lead you? Is there affirmation that takes place between you? Is there an acknowledgement and an empowerment of helping each other grow? Do we see demonstration? Do we see modeling? <laughs> In, in that relationship? Do we see encouragement? And do we always see the reminding of the most important promise, the most important task that's at hand? That's the challenge that's given. And so those are qualities that we look for. And I just want to take a quick side note here because sometimes we hear this and I, I just don't think it's true. Oh, you've got to keep your faith out of the workplace. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. We have to live our faith every day, but we live our faith like this. You see, the people who we encounter every day who may not know Christ, they can probably assume that we know our Bible, but they're just wondering if we live it. So that's where it begins. In my interactions with people, in your interactions with people, when we leave these doors, do people see us as affirming people? Do they see us as people who demonstrate the Christian life? Do they see us encouraging others? And do they see us living as if we are living with a purpose greater than our, ourselves? Because I'll tell you what, it's going to eventually come a point where they're going to ask you about that. And when you get that question, that's your opportunity. That's your window to say, you know what, I'd love to tell you about that. And that's how that begins. And that's how that grows. The most treasured piece of the relationship between Paul and Timothy is that that mentorship with Timothy, between Paul and Timothy, involved consistently communicating admiration, Respect and gratitude. Admiration, I admire you. Respect, I'm going to respect you and respect your growth. And finally, I am thankful for you. And Paul is continually pouring this into Timothy as a fellow worker for the kingdom of God. And here's my challenge to you today. Here's my question. Do we have these kinds of relationships that we're growing that are reflected in our mutual admiration, our mutual respect, and our mutual gratitude. That's one of our challenges this morning as we grow together. Now, I also want to share point number three. We need to have a Paul in our life. We need to have somebody that we look ahead to, that we're following. As we grow in our faith, we also establish relationships with Timothys in our lives, people who we are helping to, to grow, people who are looking to us for leadership. But on either side of our arms, we also need an Aaron and a her. We need someone at some points in our life to hold us up. 
I want to share with you the verses that you see in your handout here. This is from Exodus 17, 12. I didn't give you the whole story, but this is the key, the key verse of the story. When Moses' hands grew tired, they, Aaron and Hur, took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. You know, I want to share with you what I think is the most powerful testimony of Wednesday. Because under the circumstances of a funeral, it's very difficult. And it was. But what was so powerful in that day was seeing the number of people who just surrounded each other with hugs. The amount of love that was shown that day. The amount of admiration, respect, and gratitude that the friends of Raleigh had for him. And if you had the opportunity to ask Raleigh about why they felt that way at that moment, I guarantee you the first thing he would say to you is, they knew I loved Jesus. And that's how I live my life. I know that's what he would say. That's what his mother told me about him. And so in that cemetery in Lincoln, where there were tears being shed, there was also this amazing amount of strength that was growing. I really felt, and I really believe many people there, felt the presence of God by the exchange that was happening there. At a time when there was desperate need for that family, there was a, a, just a rally of people who surrounded them at a moment when they're exhausted and they're holding their arms up, just like Aaron and her do, do for Moses at a moment where he thinks the Amalekites are coming to wipe him and his people out. He has nothing left to do but to turn to God in prayer, and he's so exhausted, he needs two people, one on either side, to hold up his hands to help him. And if you've ever been in a situation where you feel like life has just punched you like that, you know how powerful it is to have those people around you who hold up your arms, sometimes when you're too exhausted yourself. There's power in that. And that's part of the community that we're talking about. That's part of the relationships that we're trying to build here. People who are always leading others, people who are plugging into people they can follow, and then most importantly, and just as importantly, I should say, people who are holding each other up. That's what relationships do. So I want to make this very practical in these last five minutes. I want to make this extremely practical for our life group leaders who maybe are looking for questions to help generate discussion. I want to make this very practical for families to start at the dinner table with these questions. I want to make this very practical for anybody who's just growing in relationships with each other. Because sometimes we feel like we run out of things to say or we're not quite sure what to say to somebody. So I, I did a little research this week on just mentor and mentee relationships. And I found this great article in Christianity Today about four questions that we can use to have sincere dialogue with somebody else. Are you ready for them? Question number one. I know some of this may sound simple, but it's going to get a little deeper as, as we go through it. Question number one. A great question to start with anybody is, how are you doing? Now, notice where I put the emphasis, because a lot of times we run into each other on the street or we run into each other at work or wherever, hey, how you doing? And what's the, always the response? Yeah, okay, I'm fine. Kids come home from school, how you doing? Fine. And that's all, that's the only place that it goes. But what happens if we put the emphasis not on you but on the word doing? And it sounds like this. How are you doing? How are you doing? And you give that magical moment of pause. And then we prepare to listen. Your emphasis on the word doing 
is an invitation for both people to slow down and really consider this question. So right now, if I asked you this question, how are you doing, what would you say? I mean, really, how are you doing today? If we really slow down, it might become apparent that this isn't a simple question at all. And the question leads us to ask a very, another important question. Are we taking care of ourselves? Are we allowing the amount, the right amount of margin between us, some breathing space between what's going on in our lives and what we really need to do to be rested and restored? What is your body saying this morning? What are your emotions telling you? Be honest with yourselves. If if I were to ask you that question today, how are you doing? How are you doing? That's a great piece of conversation that can open up some real important ways that we can minister to each other if we take the time to ask and listen. Question number two, are you ready? These are all relational, by the way. It's the relationship between the person and blank. So it's the relationship between the person and themselves. Here's question number two. How are you and your loved ones doing? How are you and your loved ones doing I've done two funerals in the last four weeks, and both times, unsolicited, somebody in the family of each of the funerals that I've done has come to me and said, you know, Jeff, we've got to be more intentional about getting this family together. We're all spread out. We don't talk much, and it seems like we're meeting too often at funerals, and we're not meeting any other time. Now, I get it. Our families are spread apart. We have family all over the country, maybe. But there are ways to communicate, even in the simplest ways, to stay in touch. I would ask you and challenge you with this. How are you and your loved ones doing? And I would challenge you to ask each other that consistently in your life groups, consistently in your coffee time, consistently in your relationships. How is your family doing? Critical question. Number three. This is a big one. How are you and your work doing? See, we're going to leave church here in a few minutes, and every one of us is going to plan what's ahead in this coming week for work. We all have work to do of some kind. How are you and your work doing? You see, if you have a relationship with your work that is a little out of balance, you're going to have to ask yourself some deep questions. Are you walking that balance, or are you tipping to the side of working too hard and spending too much time thinking about it? Are you deriving satisfaction with yourself based on what you accomplish instead of focusing on the more important things, your family, your health, and what I'm going to get to here in number four in just a moment? What are you focusing on? Are you lending your heart to the people and to the pain and to the passion that they may bring to you during your workday, or are you too busy in your own task that you're not ministering to the very people who you're working with every day? And are you taking time to celebrate the work that God is allowing you to be a part of? Or are you just showing up and grinding it out? You see how deep these questions can get? So how are you doing? How is your family doing? How are you and your work doing? And I bet you can pick number four because I saved the biggest for last. How are you and God doing? Are your prayers more drive-by right now, or are they deep? And you know what a drive-by prayer looks like, don't you? This is when you're praying on the go. 
in between the stuff that you have to get done. Maybe there's literally time in the car. And it seems like these, these prayers go out sort of in scattershot. You say them really quick, you hope they stick, and then you just move on to something else. I want to share something with you from personal testimony. I've shared this with you before. Sometimes my moments with God are the most fierce and the richest as my heart is crying out to him. And I can feel God surrounding me when I'm taking the time to focus on my prayer life. And do you know when I feel that even more deeply? Sometimes I feel it in isolation. Sometimes I need that quiet time to myself. But do you know where I also feel it really deeply? It's when I'm praying with my wife. It's when I'm praying with my friends. It's when we're praying here together on a Tuesday night or we're coming together to pray in some kind of corporate prayer. That's a community prayer. And when I feel that strength around me of other people in prayer with me and for me and who I'm praying for, it's amazing how the Spirit shows up, isn't it? So my last question is this. How are you and God doing? And as you're asking these questions to yourself, I want you to listen for the tone in your, in, in your own mind. <clears throat> if your tone is tired, if your tone is weary or worn out, could I suggest that maybe you're getting a little too isolated Maybe you're a little too busy. And that thief, that thief, that evil one that Jesus warns us of in John 10, 10, you know what? If you're feeling that way, he's stealing life from you right now. He's stealing it. And life is too precious and it's too short on this earth not to protect it. So we need to think about our, ourselves in relation to how we're doing with God, how we're doing with our family, how we're balancing our work, and how we're doing with our own growth, our own selves. Because here's the reality. Life is always busy, but we get to choose what makes us busy. And there are stretches in my own life where I've made the wrong choices and I've paid the price for it. I don't want you or me to keep making those choices. It takes us as a community to grow together and to get to that place where we're fully living life. When Jesus promises me and when Jesus promises you that he brings us life to the fullest, do we believe it and will we allow it? I need my pace line when I'm cycling. I need my relationships in this life and I need community. And I think we all need that because that community points us to what we ultimately need and that is the saving grace of Jesus. It's the kind of grace that gives us both the empowerment here as we walk on this earth and it gives us the assurance of the heaven that waits for us when we leave this earth. You know, I've had many, many mentors in different positions and in different purposes in my life. And every single one of them has had just this much in common. They've all been wise people. They've always had a friendly and listening ear. And they've all been people who are not afraid to pose hard questions to me. And I encourage everyone, we need to continue to build the kind of relationships in this community that exposes the gifts we can bring each other to help each other, to grow each other, and to guide each other. Surround yourselves with wise people who will love you, lead you, follow you, and will hold you up when life wearies you. And I've committed to this as well. When you ask and answer these questions, don't ever forget the secret and the secret is the pause. Ask and pause and wait for what's in, uh, what, what comes up. So how are you doing? How is your family doing? How is work going? 
And how are you and God doing? I want to share with you a verse that I've shared several times in other messages, but honestly, this is, this is becoming, I think, this is going to end up being my life, life verse. There is so much rich wisdom in these four verses. And if you want to write this down, it's the last one. I'm going to ask Josh to come up here, and we're going to close in a minute. But I want you to, to look at John 15, and I want you to go to verse 5. And I'm going to read for you verses 5 through 8, because this is the assurance that I want to give you. None of us have to walk through life alone. We have the saving grace of Jesus, and we have the community of believers around us. And our mission is to continually grow that community. Because I want everybody to know what's going on here. I want everybody to know the life-giving assurance that Jesus promises. So I want to close with these four verses. John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine... You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you, like that poor cyclist trying to brace a headwind, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. My encouragement for you this week, stay rooted in the vine and stay surrounded by people who are rooted in the vine. And you tell me how life is going to keep taking off. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we are so thankful for your son Jesus. We thank you for his saving grace. And just as importantly, Father, we thank you for the empowerment that comes in our daily lives when we stay rooted in you. Father, I just pray that we can each continue to build the kind of relationships that help us grow. I pray that we can find someone this week to not only share admiration with, but to share gratitude and respect with. We have so many people in our lives to be thankful for. We have so many things to be thankful for. And Father, I just pray that you keep that on our radar as we head out this week and do your work every day in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities. I thank you for all your blessings. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.